0: I'm Andrea Donsky, host for the Morphous for Menopause podcast, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. If you get value out of our podcast, please leave us a rating because that really helps people like yourself in perimenopause and menopause find our other episodes. Today's episode is sponsored by Naturally Savvy, my other podcast with a thousand podcasts. So please, if you're interested in learning how to read product labels or just making healthier decisions, when it comes to living a healthy lifestyle, you can head over and search for the Naturally Savvy podcast. On today's episode, I interviewed Dr. Lakeisha McMillan. She's an integrative gynecologist and hormone specialist based in Maryland, helping women in perimenopause and menopause. I'm really excited about this one because she talks about how to integrate mind, body, and spirit with traditional medicine. That's coming up right now. Dr. Lakeisha, welcome to Morpheus.
1: Thank you so much, Andrea. I am so excited to be here with you and your and your community today. I'm just so excited to have this conversation.
0: So am I. And first of all, when I first discovered you, I saw an interview that you did and I thought you were just fabulous and you were, you're such great energy. And I thought you'd be so great for Morpheus in our community because you really are an integrative gynecologist and you specialize in women's hormones, especially in perimenopause and menopause. So just the exact person that I'm so happy to have on our show today. I would love you to start with your story.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> that That's usually always a big question. It's like, wow. Yeah. What? take us on this journey. Right. And I so, you know, I always start out by saying, you know, I was blessed to be part of a two parent household. That was, that's kind of like my foundation. Both my parents were educators. And I remember telling them from like the tender age of 12 that I wanted to be a doctor. Now, my mm-hmm. brother and I always joke that our dad was our biggest cheerleader and mommy was like our coach. So we would run in and say, Hey, I want to go to the moon. And daddy would go, yes, you can do it. Awesome. Mommy would pull out the the pen and paper and go okay what's the sop what are we doing how are we getting there what are your materials you know and so I go in and I say hey I want to be this doctor that delivers babies because I saw this video the miracle of life and was like that's so cool, like I wanna do that. And so they were both like, you know what, we're not doctors, you need to find yourself around them so that you know if this is really what you wanna do. And so from the age of 13 till I graduated college, I was able to be in Dr. Hicks's office in Huntsville, Alabama. And I learned every aspect of his his practice from answering phones to making appointments, to going on rounds with him as I got older. And I got accepted to an early acceptance program at Loma Linda University School of Medicine and started going there in my junior year of college. And as you can see, it's almost like, oh, check, 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 checking off all the check boxes, got reacquainted with a college you know, colleague and we're married now, 19 years, two kids later. And it seemed like everything was going just fine. And then, April 2nd, 2009 happened, a day I will never, ever forget. And that's the day I lost my father unexpectedly to complications from a stroke. And as I was going through this process of a new normal, a new family structure, this free fall that I was in, my own body started changing. And I started like just becoming exhausted. And yes, there's the grief component. And I started going through therapy to unravel all of that. But then there was something physiological that was changing in me. I didn't want to have sex with my husband anymore. And he's kind of cute, y'all. I like him. Okay. (laughs) You know. And I didn't have anything left in my tank to give. I remember sitting on labor and delivery one night and my own blood pressure was 160 over 110. And I remember the nurses going, do you need to go to the ER? I mean, like, are you okay? We don't want you having a stroke on the floor. And I just, you know, things were just happening. My pager would go off and I didn't want to help my patients anymore. And I'm now gaining weight. Don't know what's happening. It's just I'm in a free fall, like I said. And so I decided at this time to take a step back. I went on sabbatical, I stepped away from traditional medicine, as most people would call it, and I started on my own journey, and in that journey, I found integrative medicine, and I think it's kind of like going back to my roots, because at Loma Linda, our model is to make man whole, and so I was taught to look at a patient in a holistic view, and in getting my own labs done, drawing my own lab, seeing where my hormone levels were, and going, oh, no wonder I've feel like I'm walking sideways right ladies you know you just feel like you're not you woke up in a body you don't even recognize anymore this is where I began to say oh my goodness I can give my genius to the world in such a different way and so I am now Dr. Lakeisha an integrative gynecologist hormone specialist, a speaker, and a best-selling author. And I help ambitious women like you guys who are struggling with depleting hormones, get your hormones balanced, regain mental sharpness, have energy all day long, and remember just how beautiful and vital you guys are.
0: I love that. And also, and I love the fact that you talked about not wanting to have sex with your husband. I mean, you are talking about real things, Mm -hmm. vaginal dryness. I mean, that's a big reason for many of us, our loss of libido, as we get into perimenopause and menopause. So I love that you're talking about it. And the more we talk about it, the more we banish the stigma, which is why you are here and why I'm here and why we're doing what we do. So I want to go back to the integrative medicine part, because that's a big thing for me. I'm a very big, I'm a huge believer in natural health and natural ways. So can you explain what that means for those who may not understand that.
1: Absolutely. So, integrative medicine for me means that I look at you as a whole person. You know, medicine has gotten very good at dismembering the body. I say that all the time. Everybody looks at their little specialty. You know, when women would come to me as an OBGYN in the quote unquote traditional world, they would come and say, Oh, you know, my periods are wacky. Something happened. And when I would take a step back and say, Okay, you said your period started getting irregular. When did that happen? Three months ago? What changed in your life three months ago? What stressors came up? What changed dietary, routine, sleep? And I used to get some women look at me like I had just grown a second head. Like, well, why are you even asking me that? Because in the world of integration, you know that physiology comes from a place that you really have to start digging deep and uncovering certain layers so that once we fix this problem, we won't be here. Same song, different verse next year. And I say that all the time. I can get your hormones balanced. We can work on everything and we'll be back here. Same station. If we don't really look at you as a whole person and start really working on some other aspects that have gotten us to this point.
0: That is just music to my ears. And it's true. We're mind, body, and spirit. So I love the fact that you take the whole person into account. And it's true. And as we get into menopause, we know from the research that it shows that if we've experienced any type of trauma, big T or small T trauma in our lives, it comes back in full force when we're in perimenopause and menopause. So dealing with things like our emotional issues as well as our physical issues is key as we're getting into this phase of life. So thank you so much for doing what you do and for sharing that with us. Just to be clear, do you practice? So let's say for somebody who is in Maryland and wants to see you in person, is it something that you do that you can help women through your practice or do you have courses? How do you help women?
1: Oh my goodness. I have everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So I do have a concierge practice. Um, That is where you can come and get a a free consultation with me. And that way we can see if we can work together. I have online courses that um, I'm actually launching in, in March. Sorry, in May, I always have to get the two M's ready. In May, I'm launching a seven-day mini course where it's a video course where you can do it on your own, understand what's going on in your bodies. I have a book that you can purchase and read on your own to understand what's going on. So, and I do challenges every once in a while. I have an online, you know, VIP community. So I have various different ways that you can access this information, access a group of women that are just like like you, so that you can get this camaraderie so you don't feel isolated and like you're on your own. So, there are various different avenues where you can get this information and get access to me.
0: I love it. And we're going to put that information below in the comments. So if you're on YouTube watching, we'll put it in the comments below. And if you're on our podcast, we'll put it in the show notes below. Okay. Dr. Lakeisha, I want to go. One of the things you and I had talked about uh, prior to today was having a conversation with your doctor. And if your doctor isn't listening, or perhaps doesn't understand perimenopause and menopause, you had said something that was very interesting to me. You're like, well, find a new doctor. And I know that that might not be so easy for many people, but let's go back to the beginning. So once we start experiencing changes in our body, we might not really understand what's happening. One of the first things that we do, aside from Googling it and going online and looking for information, is to really go to our doctor and speak to our healthcare practitioner provider. Let's talk about what is that conversation? What are some questions we can ask our doctor to ensure that we're finding the right healthcare provider?
1: Awesome, that is a great, great question. So what I look for is someone that is, first of all, willing to listen to you and not be dismissive of what you're bringing to the table. You know your body, you live with yourself every day. You see your practitioner different times during the year. And if you come in and say something's not right, I really need some help. And if they're willing to sit in the weeds with you, that's key. That's like a a green light. It's like, oh, okay, let's keep moving. And if they are open to having this dialogue and saying, hey, I may not have all the answers, but either one, reaching into their Rolodex of super friends and referring you, or two, saying I'm willing to do some research on my own and let's come back together and see what we can come up with. That's another green light. So having this conversation and being able to have the power to have that conversation as an exchange, I mean, this is what we really need. We need women to be CEOs of their health and be able to say, okay, who am I going to employ and staff on my healthcare team? That's really what you're doing. You're curating your healthcare team so that you can feel that you're getting everything that's helping you to be that whole person.
0: Absolutely. I'm like, yes, this is exactly what we've been saying here at Morpheus, And it is so true, right? We need to be empowered. I tell my girlfriends all the time who are, you know, complaining about issues and saying, no, you know, they don't feel heard. I'm like, well, you need to take charge of your health. What are your blood? What, you know, when you're going to get your blood work, what are your results? Um, many of them say they don't know. And I'm like, well, wait, you absolutely should know what your results are. Absolutely. Blood was, what- absolutely. That's another thing. If your doctor's not willing to sit with you and at least just say,
1: well, okay, so I have to take a step back because I know how that world is I know the pressures of that world and the time frame that you have in that world so that's another thing because that was one of the things that was really I, I really could not stand I had 15 minutes with you to come up with a diagnosis and a plan for you and we had very little time to engage for me to talk to you, for me to know what's going on with your family, with your household, with your work, with everything that's going on with you. And then I'm a human being too. And there are things that I'm bringing as a physician to the conversation. So not having that time and being pressured to make sure I'm in the EMR and making sure I'm documenting everything correctly, that's a whole nother piece to the situation. And so that is another reason why I love what I get to do in my concierge practice, because I get the time to sit down on the floor with you, so to speak, and say, hey, okay, let's lay this all out. What are we doing? How are we moving forward? So that is part of it, that your doctor doesn't really have the time. And that's a whole mess of healthcare in and of itself. But at least let them say, hey, here are your labs. They look fine. They're normal. A lot of times if you have labs and you don't get a call back, it's because they're normal. That's kind of how the system works. They usually only call you if something's wrong, which then it's a a very scary conversation. Sometimes it's over the phone, which really is very impersonal. And so these are the things that you need to advocate for and say, I need to understand your practice up front. How do you how do you communicate what's going on with me? How do you communicate what my labs are? Are you able to tell me because this lab is looking this way, this is the symptom that I'm having so that you know how your doctor is communicating with you so that you all are on the same page?
0: What would you say are some of the most important lab work that women should be asking their doctor to give them? Oh,
1: there's a, there's, um, especially in the perimenopause menopausal phase, there are, there's a lot that you can get. There's different tests that are out there. What I say is make sure that when you're going to your practitioner, that they are an expert in whatever test that they are running for you, that they're able to interpret it. Um, I, I put a list of tests in my book. I think it's on page 33, only because I kind of have had to reference that <laughs> recently. And so there are different tests for like hormones that you can get run. There are different tests for thyroid because that's another that's area that very important. Practice. Yes. There's um, tests that you can run for your adrenal health because that gets impacted. And yep. then there's certain vitamins and minerals and nutrients that you can also get um, tests run for. And so there's some basic ones. So the mm-hmm. main ones that I, I talk about a lot are like your estrogens, your progesterone, testosterone. Um, there's a whole sequence of tests for thyroid. Um, I usually say, make sure that your doctor's running more than just the TSH for thyroid and, mm-hmm. and making sure it's not just a reflexive if that looks bad then no but let's look at all of the different um entities of the thyroid and so there are different tests that you can actually ask um for and i go through that in a consultation with you or like i said it's i think it's on page 33 of my book
0: the other pms right that's the name of your book yeah i love that that's a great book it's a great title by the way thank you thank you yeah and I we also I'm also a big advocate for asking for your liver enzymes to get tested. I mean there is definitely different uh, tests you can speak to your doctor and then when you get the results and even if it did your and you made a good point about the doctor not calling you if it's normal. So even if your thyroid stimulating hormone or your TSH with Dr. Lakeisha just mentioned comes back in the normal range, it still might not be optimal for you. So that's a really important point. And I know that here we live in Canada, the range I believe, or the the normal range, I think is up to 5.5 for a TSH, but we know wow. that if your, your TSH is over two yes. and between 5.5, it's yes. still considered normal, but ladies, it's not, you really need to be doing something about your thyroid. Yes. So there's yes. So that's an important note that we should be making also. On
1: that same note, I know that here in the States, we've actually lowered the TSH range from that 5.5 region because there was a big discussion in the endocrinology um, world that said, hey, people are feeling horrible when their TSH is actually around three and four. And it may not even show up in your free T4 or free T3 numbers. It won't reflect to that. And so that's a great point. Um, I I talk about optimization and optimal numbers and optimal levels. And so we have to have these conversations along with, okay, what are the symptoms that you're having? You can't ignore those. You know, somebody's coming to me and they have symptoms that tell me, Something's not right. Something's not right. I can't just say, well, the numbers say, no, it needs to be a whole conversation.
0: Yep. And I I absolutely agree with that. So how much training does a doctor get in medical school for perimenopause and menopause?
1: That's a great question. So when you go through medical school, at the end of medical school, you decide which specialty you're gonna go into. And so I decided to go into the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology, which is a four-year residency program. In that time, you get trained on how to deliver babies, of course, how to manage, um, you know, during the the, the time of, of like the perinatal phase, you learn how to deliver babies, you learn about GYN problems, how to take care of women. It's so interesting that my life is so entwined with the WHI study because the WHI study came out my very first day of residency. I will never forget it. My residency program director ran in, they had FedExed the study to her house and we're sitting there, new doctors, bright eyed, bushy tail. And she's just like, oh my gosh, this is here. And what happened is that In residency, it's it's just like when you're out, how much do you read? How much do you glean? You know, we have what are called journal clubs. We have uh, opportunities to look at different studies. But what I feel we didn't do as a whole is really understand that WHI study, what it meant, how to pull it apart, how to give that information to ladies and what that means and how that can be useful for certain women. Again, having a conversation that says, is this for you? Are you a candidate? What are the symptoms that you're trying to help to ameliorate? What is it that I can do for you that you can feel better every single day and show up as the powerful woman you are and so the training there is some very traditional training but when it comes to hormones that's kind of on your own because we're taught about birth control we're taught about contraception we're taught surgery we are taught some basic foundations but when it comes to this integration and even just hormones it's basically on your own. How much do you want to learn? And they're out there. There are, other, there's, there are courses out there. There are conferences. And so that's the way that I've chosen to, to basically to educate myself.
0: And that's why it's so crucial to see a doctor who understands menopause yeah. and perimenopause. But yeah. even myself, I remember when I first started experiencing perimenopause symptoms, my doctor looked at me and she, you know, we did the usual blood test, but she was like, it's really hard for me to tell if you're in perimenopause or menopause, right? We can guess at it, but we don't know for sure. And then I've seen doctors, another doctor I had who told me that something was happening with my body. And she said to me, well, maybe now you're coming out of menopause. So I think that there's so much information out there and there's a lot of guessing that's going on. And because like you said, there isn't the formal training, it's important to seek a doctor or to look for a doctor and see a doctor like yourself who has gone the extra mile to really understand perimenopause and menopause. And and that is why I wanted to interview you today, because I really believe once women are taken care of, they feel supported, they're seeing the right practitioner, then they can start taking care of their symptoms. And we're talking multi-symptoms. At Morpheus. I've spent the last four years, Dr. Lakeisha, really delving into the research and the and both anecdotal and non-anecdotal, right? So I've been looking at the research and speaking to women and thousands of women. And it's what's so interesting to me is that we have now discovered that there are over 85 different signs and symptoms of menopause. And before doing this, we had heard, yeah, there's 30 to 40. No, no, no. There are like 85 plus signs and symptoms of menopause. So understanding and seeing a doctor who gets that to me will make women feel supported, heard. And then you can also help them to feel better. Right. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. That I, I love everything you just said. I'm just going to, I'm just going to do a standing ovation for.
0: You. <laughs> Thank you. I love that. And I love how, you know what I love too, as I love how supportive we are of each other in terms of being women and we're both in the menopause space, but you know what, to me, it's so important that we get as much information out there to women. You're a doctor, you're trained in this, you've gone the extra mile, I'm a nutritionist and together, everybody, we come together and that's where the integration to me really is. And that's why I love that you are on our show today. So I'm gonna thank you again for being here because I mean, I still have a lot more questions, but you know, just for being here and being present with us and really sharing your knowledge, it means a lot to us. So thank you.
1: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought that in because I talk about this too. And this is where I I also have my little Rolodex of super friends. I'm talking about how the gut plays a role. We've got to look at how that changes. I mean, there's so much in our body that changes and we have to address it as an entire entity an entire entity. So yes, you know, someone like yourself that has gone and done the reading and been able to implement it in your own practice, being able to give this information to women and see the changes, see the results. That is key as well. That's, that's key as well.
0: Yes. uh, Thank you so much for saying that. And I want to go back to what you said about hormones. So you -hmm. talked about the WHI study. So for women who, um, so if you're listening, you're not familiar, that's the Women's Health Initiative. So that was a big study that was done. Dr. Lakeisha, maybe give a little bit of a background oh, okay. in terms of what that is talking about hormone replacement therapy, because I do want to ask you about HRT, your thoughts on it, as well as BHRT, which is bioidentical hormone therapy.
1: Absolutely. So the WHI study came out in 2002. And what they did was they looked at women that were 63 years old and older. And these women had had a known cardiovascular event and they were trying to prevent them from having another cardiovascular event, like a stroke or heart attack. Because the thought process, if you just look at it kind of like in general terms, was that, hey, when women are younger and they're in their reproductive phase, their risk factors for having heart attacks and stroke versus what happens to men is a lot lower. Wow, what is it? Maybe it's their hormones. Maybe it's a protective effect. And so they were like, why don't we protect them even further and give them some estrogen and progesterone? Well, the sources of those were horse urine. Seriously, literally, equestrian horse urine. They took that and made compounds called Premarin and Prempro, and they gave it to the women. And you guys know what happened? It increased the risk of them having a second event. So they had to stop the study. And then there were other studies that spawned off of that. They started doing the HERS study, the HERS 2 study, where they just looked at estrogen alone. They looked at progesterone alone. They just looked at all the, and then there was a noticing in effect of increase, a slight increased risk of breast cancer. So they were like, whoa, wait, what happened? And what they found was that it was the synthetic hormones. So let's talk about what synthetic hormones are. Synthetic hormones are when you take something and you try and make it look like what the the original was. So it's like taking this molecule and trying to make it into a key, the key shape that your original estrogen and progesterone would look like. So that it can actually go into the lock and actually start things happening in the cell, But it's not the real thing, right? It's not the actual molecule. So what happens is when your body starts breaking this molecule down, it makes what we call, we love big words in medicine because it feels like my education was worth it. We make these big metabolites, okay? And it's these metabolites that kind of go off and our body can't package up these metabolites properly and excrete them through our urine and our bowels and get rid of them and our liver sometimes has a really hard time getting these things packaged up and and out. So what we've now come to find are that things called bioidentical hormones. So when in the world of of hormones in my space, we use the term HRT to really just talk about the, the old terminology, which is hormone replacement therapy. So when I hear HRT, I think of Premarin and Primpro. When I hear BHRT, I think of bioidentical things like bioidentical testosterone, bioidentical progesterone, bioidentical estrogen. What that means is, yes, it was still they had to make it, but they made it out of and they made it to look just like what your body used to make. It's the right key. It fits in the lock. It turns the lock. Your body breaks it down just like it used to break down everything else. And it packages it up and it gets it out of there. So that's the difference between the two. And that's what happened when I believe we didn't do a good job of saying, okay how does this look for women that are 43 years old that are now starting to have just the early symptoms of perimenopause? How does this look for women that are now 50 years old that are now starting to have more of the symptoms of menopause or we're just looking at overall health. Like you said, over 85 symptoms of perimenopause and then you go into menopause, And there's so many physiological changes that we have to support. And so those are probably the differences that I can help to try and get people to understand the difference between what happened with the WHI study, the various other studies that are coming out, and help to try and clear up some of the confusion that's out there.
0: Thank you for that. Now, just so I understand, so so myself and everybody who's listening. So when it comes to HRT, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think of that too, the synthetic. And by the way, horse urine, for real? Like that's insane. So when we're talking about HRT, we're talking about synthetic. And when we're talking about BHRT, that's we're talking about bioidentical, which is more similar to what our own body makes. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on genetics? I interviewed Dr. Monser Mohammed. I did a three-part video with him, which was fabulous. He's one of the top five geneticists in the world. And he came from the uh, oncology world actually before he came to the DNA company. And I, when I met with him several years ago, he did my, I did my DNA test. And I remember when I had my consultation with him, he looked at me and at the time I was on bioidentical progesterone. And he looked at me and he said, if you are on any type of BHRT or HRT, I was in perimenopause at the time. He says, you really need to come off it because the way my body genetically throws out my estrogen. So there's three types of estrogen: there's the E2, E4, E16. Mine were throwing it at mine with body was throwing it into the bad estrogen. So the E4 and the E16. So he had said to me, you know what, Andrea? You know, if you're on it. I really suggest that you go off it. So what are your thoughts in terms of what role does genetics do genetics play when it comes to prescribing BHRT to your patients?
1: That's a great question. I don't necessarily use genetics in the role of prescribing initially. So if you've gotten to be able to have that additional information, that's awesome, that's wonderful. What I do look at is a history. I do a very thorough history. We're looking at your symptomatology. And then we're also, tracking this as you are on it. I don't just put you on it and leave you there. You know, there are some places that I, I do, you know, caution people about that are the, you know, that'll say, Hey, we do hormones or we do this and they kind of give you it and like, have a good life bye no, you need somebody that's constantly looking at your blood levels, knowing what this can, can produce, what it can affect. If it, you know, if you have, if you're on it, can it produce, can it actually increase like your liver enzymes, is your liver producing the right, um, is it, are, are the right enzymes being kicked up so that they can break things down so that your liver is supported you know those are the things that I look at but I do know that genetics can play a big role and if you have the opportunity to add that piece in by all means absolutely
0: I'm very happy to hear that you follow up and you're making sure that you're on top of your patients on top of the blood work and that is critical especially if they're not doing some type of genetic testing prior to knowing whether or not it's an option for them In your opinion and from your experience with your patients, how long is the minimum or the maximum amount of time that you would put a, one of your patients on BHRT? I I just remember hearing years ago, if you're on it for more than five years or 10 years, it, you know, it cannot be good for you. Is that true?
1: I have recently come across a study that looked at a meta-analysis of about 14 different studies. And they have come to the conclusion that you don't necessarily need to have a length of time when it comes to BHRT. So that shortest amount of time, lowest dose came from that WHI study and the studies that came out after that because they were like, okay, some women are just so miserable with their symptoms. and, And they were just looking at the big three hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, not all the other things like brain fog, like losing muscle mass, like gaining weight, not, and being exhausted. And, and all the other things that go on, they were just looking at the big three and they said, okay, if you're just that miserable, go on a very low dose for the shortest amount of time and then wean off of it. Well, you wean off of it and you're miserable again. And so that's where that particular school of thought has come from. What I do is I, I'm now educating my ladies and saying, hey, for some of you, depending on what other supplementation we can give you and other lifestyle tools we give you, this may be something that you put in as part of your health care. For a long length of time, for a little bit of a duration of a time, because this is really helping you on a metabolic level. So that's where the customization comes in. That's where you sit down and you have these conversations so that your patient can have an informed refusal or an informed consent of what they're doing for their bodies.
0: What are your thoughts on ingredients that are like phytoestrogens or that mimic estrogen in the body? So for example, Vitex, Dong quai, flaxseed, what, in, from what you've seen from your patients, and I'm going to, I'll share my story in a minute, but I want to hear your opinion first in terms of women who are using supplements, who let's say they decide they don't want to go on BHRT or HRT, and they want to use these supplements instead
1: i found that for women that do other things that help support that, it works very well for them. So they're making sure that they've worked with a nutritionist and worked on their gut health. They're making sure their microbiome is actually balanced. You know, they're really working on decreasing inflammation in their body. And so those things seem to be very supportive for them. And again, I always come back to, Are you feeling good? Like, how is this working for you to get through your day to show up for yourself and for your community every day. So there are some of those supplements out there. There's also regimens that I've done, I've done seed cycling with some women that literally do support. And so there are, you know, these are the different tools that you can pull out of your tool bag and that you can give somebody for them to be able to use. But I come to find that you have to make sure that it's a total approach.
0: Yeah. And, and absolutely. And one of the things I had tried some of these ingredients in the past, and I remember, and and also making sure that you're getting tested. So, and I'm going to go back to your point before where you were saying that you're continuously checking and testing your patients to ensure that whatever they're doing is working. Now, maybe not specifically with supplements, but as you, as women who are listening to this right now, empowering yourselves to do that. So for example, when I first started experiencing experiencing symptoms, I was so it was so debilitating. I couldn't even function. Like really, I could not function, which is really what led me to create Morphis because I needed to find a natural solution. Given that I couldn't do BHRT, I wanted to find supplements that really worked. And next year we're going to be launching our own line of supplements, which I'm very excited about. Yay! <laughs> and we just launched Morphis.com. So actually, we are Morphis.com is our website. We just launched it a couple of weeks ago, which is awesome, very exciting. Awesome. Yeah, really exciting. So it's been like years in the making. But one of the things that I remember doing was taking, it was specifically, you know, there was Don Quay and there was Vitex in it. And I I go for yearly ultrasounds for gynecological ultrasounds. And I went one year and my lining was 0.3. And then I went the year a year later and my lining was like 0.6. So my doctor at the time, so it doubled, which it's not supposed to. And Dr. Lakeisha, you can explain that, what our lining supposed to do in menopause. It's supposed to get thinner. And I remember my doctor said to me, you know, maybe that you're coming out of menopause. And it just, it didn't seem right to me. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. If I'm in menopause, how am I coming out of menopause? So I did the research and the research was, I mean, obviously some of these supplements can mimic hormones in the body and estrogen. So I just want everyone to be very clear in what you were taking. And I was one of those people that would literally experiment with everything before being in in perimenopause. And now I am really careful what I put into my body.
1: Yes. I see everyone. Yes. So there are supplements out there that can help with some of your symptoms, but you absolutely have to be very careful and talk to somebody that knows what they are for. So like you just said, um, Andrea, is that what can happen is that if we think about our cycle just the way it used to be, you know, back when we started having our periods, estrogen helps to make the lining grow very thick. So I always say think of it as like estrogen making the grass grow tall and progesterone is in charge of the lawn more. So depending on if there was an egg fertilized, progesterone waits around for that signal. Nope, no egg was fertilized. All right, guys, in about a week or so, mow the lawn. We don't need it. So what can happen is if you have something on board that's mimicking estrogen, that's making the uterine lining grow fast again, but you don't have that balance of the progesterone, then you have just like wild grass growing and that's not a good thing. And so there is the thing where you have to be you have to be monitored. If you are, if you are in menopause and you go 12 consecutive months without a period, that's the definition. And you end up having a period after those 12 consecutive months, you have to be evaluated for uterine cancer. That's it, point blank. That's what we're looking for. Now there are other things that can mimic you having, you know, a period or bleeding like polyps. That's something else that's benign. Um, you know, so there are other things that can do it, but the big thing we're looking for. Twelve consecutive months, no period. Then you have a period. We're looking for cancer. I'm just be point blank with that. And so there are some supplements out there and that's why you have to be very careful in terms of what you are putting in and how much, and then, oh my goodness, it's actually stimulating things. So yes, there are things that can, can help if you can't go with the bioidenticals, but you have to be doing this with somebody that and checking in, that's what I say, you know, do a check in. don't just, you know, go off into your never, never land by yourself but do something with somebody else on your healthcare team. Remember that, remember that ladies we're curating people on our healthcare team.
0: Yep. And I couldn't have said it better myself. And even some of the, mar- the I, I come from the food world. So I, I run naturally savvy and naturally savvy was all about educating people how to leave, how to read food labels and making better decisions when it comes to our health. And I remember we used to use the term all the time, misleading marketing. And I'm now what I'm starting to find is that there's a lot of misleading marketing when it comes to the menopause relief supplement market, having, knowing this because we're going to be launching our own supplements next year. So even in products that say hormone-free or estrogen-free, just really be careful and make sure that you are doing your research. So I'll leave it at that. And, uh, you know, in terms of just really understanding what you're putting in your body. And like you said, Dr. Lakeisha, making sure that you are working with somebody that understands this. So very important. And, and I did have to have a biopsy. So what you're talking about in terms of checking for cancer... Because my endometrium lining thickened, it doubled in one year. That was of concern to me after I did the research and we ended up having to do a biopsy, a biopsy in Thankfully, nothing is, everything is okay and nothing's wrong, but it is something that we need to be mindful of. Dr. Lakeisha, I have another question for you when it comes to understanding the tools that we can use. So we talked about supplements, we talked about BHRT, we talked about in terms of the emotional aspect, what are, what is, what are one or two more tools that we can use to really help find relief when it comes to our menopausal symptoms?
1: Oh, I love this question because I talk about this all the time, restorative practices. Oh my goodness. And this is probably because this is one of the recent tools that I've been able to been, has been gifted to me with my meditation and mindset coach that has just returned dividends for myself, And so when I talk about restorative practices, I'm talking about things that literally support your parasympathetic nervous system and calm down the sympathetic nervous system. So I'm talking about meditation, I'm talking about breathing, I'm talking about taking time to just be grateful and talking about gratitude. And a lot of times we think about these things and we think that they're so minimal, but they literally rewire our brain, they rewire our our body, they support different physiological changes. I mean, I have learned that my form of meditation is actually a moving meditation. And so doing either swimming, oh, love swimming, love the water just rushing over me, just doing laps, or doing my yoga practices has been just invaluable for myself. And it has really helped me to even with weight control, you know, making sure that I can make sure that these hips and this muffin top doesn't get out of control. Um, it's helped with my brain health. I mean, just being able to do some alternate nostril breathing. I teach this all the time because I'm like, look, you can do this sitting in your car. You can do this getting right when you your eyes pop open in the morning. You can do these things and you don't have to necessarily make sure it's the schedule, put on your tennis shoes, put on your workout clothes, and then go. But breathing, different forms of breathing can be invaluable. So restorative practices are the other tool that I love to be able to put in my toolbox.
0: I would, I actually set an alarm to remind myself to breathe because I we am so busy during the day, right? So it was such a great, it was advice that was given to me by somebody when she, uh, I was chatting with one of my colleagues and she's like, you know what, we really, and, and understanding the whole parasympathetic nervous system, by the way, is not woo woo. So a lot of people might say, oh, you know, meditation or, oh, it sounds like we're talking about, you know, deep breathing. No, it is crucial because stimulating our parasympathetic nervous system helps us to relax. It helps us to calm our body, our nervous system, right? So everything that you had just said. So I put an alarm on my phone to remind me to breathe. And I would love you to show everybody or take us through the alternating nostril breathing, because I think that's really interesting. And that's not something I do. I just, I'll breathe in for four or or five, and then I'll breathe out for eight to 10. So breathing out it's very important that you breathe out twice, take twice as long to breathe out on the exhale because that'll stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve. So very yes, important. Yes. Dr. Lakeisha, take us through the alternating nostril okay. breathing.
1: So with your dominant hand, I'm right-handed. You okay. take your hand and you create an L with your thumb and your index finger. And so okay. you're gonna close off the right nostril with your thumb. Oh my you're, God. Gonna, <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna breathe in through your left. You're gonna close it off, open up. With the, and breathe out. I'm breathing out through my nostril, not yes. my mouth, right? Uh, okay. okay. Breathe out through your nostril. Breathe in through your nostril. Close it off. Open up the other one. Breathe out. Breathe in. Close it off. Open up the other and breathe out. And you can oh, do this so for several, several repetitions. Like what you really want to do is be able to get up to about three to five minutes of that or just even if you can do four of them right in a row, um, it's it's just invaluable. One of the other secrets I give is that if you wake up in the morning and you're one of those people that as soon as you wake up, you go from zero to 60, you're just like, (gasps) what am I gonna have to do today? Take that same thing and you can breathe in and out just through the left, so close off the right nostril, this stimulates your parasympathetic pathway. And so you Mm. need to get that everything's okay, it's calming down, all right, we're okay. Or if you're one of the people that wake up and you just kind of sluggish and you're like, I just can't really get it going. You need some, you know, that engine just can't, you know, kind of trying to get it to go, close off the left and just breathe in and out through the right that stimulates the sympathetic. So that's something you do as soon as you wake up and you're like, oh, what am I? And, And you can do one of those. And you'll find that there'll even be one nostril that's a little harder to breathe through. That's because it needs some help waking up. You need some help to be able to stimulate that. And when I do this on stage with my talks, I get inevitably somebody will say, I saw your shoulders literally relax when you did that. And I said, exactly, because that is what we're doing. We're literally supporting the parasympathetic nervous system. We're actually short circuiting that amygdala pathway. And what you're doing is you're calming down the adrenal. So you're not producing these big bursts of cortisol and you're literally just utilizing what you need to get through your day.
0: That is awesome. You know, something else that works really well in terms of obviously, in addition to deep breathing, going for walks in nature is amazing. That helps as well. Doing the alternate nostril breathing. But sound baths, have you ever had a sound bath experience, Dr. Lakeisha? Oh my goodness. So
1: I have one of my super friends, Dr. Jekyll. She is in Connecticut. Um, She's a naturopathic physician. Her specialty is Lyme. And she Mm. was hosting right at the beginning of COVID last year. She was doing live Facebook live streams where there was a practitioner in her office that was doing sound bowl singing for lunchtime. And I would just put it on and be able to do, and I could literally just feel, and I wasn't even in the same room. Right. But I could just feel the relaxation. And I was Incredible. like, I'm ready to start the afternoon. Like, yeah, oh my goodness. So yes, I haven't been in the same room with one, but I've experienced it virtually and it has been amazing. It was amazing.
0: It's, and what's nice about what the research show is that it's the vibration and the sound that literally... Jump starts your mm. parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're somebody, then I love that you talked about walking meditation. We, I did an interview with Lisa Borden and David Newton. They're from the Akira, con, Akira concept. And they were saying that the old way of thinking about doing a meditation of like sitting there and, you know, trying to calm your mind doesn't work for everybody. And I'm definitely, it does not work for me. I'm a type A personality. I'm always go, go, go. But a walking meditation works for me or sitting with doing a sound bath. And the sound bath literally will take you into that relaxed mode, yes. re- relaxation mode, Instantly, yeah, and that's what's amazing for people like myself who really need that kind of that like jump start, like you were saying, that kickstart. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely, absolutely. Oh my goodness, that's that's one of the gifts that my coach gave me was that she was like, look you, there are different postures of of meditation. There's walking meditation, there's lying down, there's sitting, there's being still, you know, she was like, so you, your brain really works best with a moving meditation. And she shared with me um, that she, the same thing. She was like, I have to do moving meditation. She said, it literally took me 20 years to be able to sit down to do a seated meditation. And she says, once you get that and you understand it, it really does, it's, it's something that you can really use
0: for your day. I love it. I'm going to put a link to the Akira Concept interview below. They call it the unmeditation meditation. I love it. Is, I love it. <laughs> which is a great name. And you can also just Google sound bath because you because there are many. You know, they're not. A, you can buy like ones that aren't very expensive for your house, and you can just do it yourself. Or you can even listen to it on YouTube, like you were saying. Your friend Dr. Lakeisha, if maybe you could give us her name again. Is she still doing them now? Like uh, for people? I don't to think listen?
1: she's still doing them, but you can catch them on her page, Dr. Jacquel. Um, Dr. Jacquel ND is her Facebook awesome. page. And I think you um, can follow her on even Instagram. And she's amazing. She's just an amazing doctor.
0: Well, thank you for sharing another, I love how you say that you're super friends. I love that. I'm gonna, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna use that from now on. It's like, I always say my team of experts, but I love that super friends. So that's a, it's a really well, very well, good way to explain it. So I think that's amazing. Is there anything that we didn't talk about today that you would like to share with our audience when it comes to being in perimenopause and menopause and finding relief tools, anything?
1: I just want women to be able to have the conversation because when we start having this conversation, when we shine the light on it, we take the shame away from it. Because I believe that over the t- over time, years ago, it was a shameful conversation. It was whispered, the shame. You know, you would <laughs> be standing with your mom or aunties or somebody in a room, and on one of them would start, you know, perspiring, and, and everybody would kind of be like, "Who will hold their breath?" And it was this whispered tone and this whispered conversation, and so it it brought about it like there was supposed to be something done in secrecy. And the more we talk about it, the more we bring light to it. This is just as this is the talk 2.0. We yep. are supposed to be having this form of the talk, just like we had when we were about to start our periods. Exactly. This is now the second half of that talk. And being able to have that gives us our voices back, gives us the reins of our body back. So the biggest advice I would say is just continue to have these conversations, find these resources, be an advocate for yourself and your girlfriends and your sisters and your your daughters and those generations that are coming behind us.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And yes, which is why Morphus exists, which is why you're doing what you do. And I just absolutely love that we ended our interview with that because that is the truth. So Dr. Lakeisha, how could people find out more about you and how could they follow you on social media?
1: Oh, I am Dr. Lakeisha MD on all social media platforms. So that's D-R-L-A-K-E-I-S-C-H-A-M-D on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media platforms. And that's where you can find me and follow me and their resources on all those platforms. If you want to have a free consultation with me, if you want to dive in a little bit more, there are links in my bios on Instagram where you can find out all about that.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me. I had such a good time talking to you.
0: Me too. I love that Dr. Lakeisha is an integrative gynecologist, meaning she's integrating mind, body, and spirit with medicine. It really is the perfect combination. If you got value out of today's video, please give us a big thumbs up and please share this video because the more you share shows you care. And please leave a comment because we'll be sure to answer it. And if you're listening on our podcast, you can head over to our YouTube page, Morphus, M-O-R-P-H-U-S, so you can see Dr. Lakeisha's demonstration of the alternate nostril breathing. We'll see you all next time.